Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The air we breathe, the water we drink, the soil that grows food for our families. These basic elements are essential to healthy, happy lives. America's corn growers think so, too. Across the country, they're pitching in every day and doing the work to produce food and fuel that is healthy in a sustainable way. Go to ncga.com to learn more about how corn farmers grow a more sustainable future for us all. That's ncga.com. A wise man once said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Another man, less wise, said that if you hit yourself in the head with a hammer, then you will crack your skull open. And that seems to be what Celtic did against Rangers last week. Welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. Enda here in the company of Alan Morrison and Juco James, as always. Lads, how are you getting on? Okay, thank you. (laughs) Hanging in there. So, James, myself and yourself hopped on the podcast, hopped on YouTube to discuss this game in the post-match of it, the, po- the post-emotion of it, the anger of it, and this is the analyzing of it. So I, I guess we'll start off with you and things that you've learned in the last three days since the game and what your take is on it now in comparison to what it was directly after it. So some of the interesting aspects of it analytically were the tale of two halves. Um, so, and this comes back to one of the topics of debate within uh, kind of data and analytics relative to football is this concept of game state. And, um, you know, the fact that I mean, if you look at the data of the game, Rangers pretty much dominated the first half obviously getting the two goals and a question comes in naturally, which is, okay, well, how much does that impact uh, the rest of the game relative to strategy? Did, did um, Rangers change how they were playing because they had that two goal lead to defend? Probably. I mean, again, we don't know, but that's obviously a, uh, a reasonable thing to, to think could happen Um, because in the second half, then really Celtic, uh, took over the game from a from a chance creation perspective. Um, so if you kind of break down that game in the game, 
you know, as they, as they say, obviously goals change games. And um, that was certainly the case from a gains, game state perspective. Interestingly, um, that second half was, from a chance creation, one of the best periods that Celtic have had relative to the Gerard tenure at Rangers. Um, I think the total XG for the game was over two from a non-penalty perspective. Um, and most, almost all of that was in the second half. A very small fraction was in, in the first half. Um, but the problem we've had really since Kennedy's come in, and again, there's a lot of debate, I think room for debate as to, to why that might be. Some of it may just be randomness is the finishing's just been terrible. So despite the relatively high chance creation, I think the post shot XG and Allen's might be a little different, but it was, you know, like half of a goal plus or minus around there. So, um, you know, so when you look at the sum of the parts at the end of the game, it actually looked like an okay performance underlying, but I think that probably masks it a little bit relative to that game state. The fact that, you know, Rangers got those two goals in the first half. And I think for the most part set up to play fairly defensively and counter, um, and, and, uh, you know, generally it worked because we didn't score, but that we certainly mm-hmm. had a lot of, a lot of chances in the second half and it very well could have been a different game. Had we, you know, um, picked up a goal, whether it was on the Welsh opportunity late in the first half or one of the myriad of opportunities in, yeah. in the second half. Alan, one of the reasons that we were kind of excited about, excited about this game was the fact that it was a, a cup game. It was a once off league form doesn't really matter all that much when you go into these and it was the last remaining fixture that actually mattered for Celtic this year as such so we were excited we were hopeful and we were emotional as well and again myself and James were quite emotional after the game but you watched this game emotionless because you (laughs) took it uh, a little bit different a little bit of a different approach to it than we did. Yeah, not by choice, and not because I'm some, you know, somebody who's devoid of feeling. <laughs> it was just that uh, circumstances were on Sunday that I uh, had a family birthday event all afternoon. Was outside. Uh, I'd avoided the score. I had no means of recording the game. I don't have Premier Sports, and then you know, Celtic TV decide to. Well, it's probably not. It's probably contractual. You know, the reruns not till like midnight on Sunday, and I'm just like, you know, am I going to go through all of Monday, you know, working, not finding out the score? And uh, something popped up on social media, I think, one of, one of the many bloody channels that you get, even though I ignored everything all day, that just gave me an inkling that things hadn't gone well. So I pretty much looked at the score, saw the result, and just I didn't bother to watch it until I obviously started collecting the data. So I was watching it pretty much yeah, without that, without, without going through all the trauma <laughs> that it must have gone through, actually, to, to watch that game, because what a nightmare, actually, in terms of, you know, you were right. I was pretty upbeat last week about it, mainly because... I sensed uh, perceptible improvements in, in what I call coherence of, of the team uh, culminating in that Livingston game in terms of a lot of weaknesses in the side. Kennedy had appeared to make very subtle adjustments to, to, to mitigate, especially you know Brown's role being more curtailed, the full-backs being asked to keep it simple as far as ball distribution was concerned. Uh, El Unisi obviously hitting some form, some form. The return of the diamond, uh, you know, Welsh has been steady. There was enough in there that you felt okay. We look coherent. We look confident. And and that's a, that was a big, 
you know, we'd actually scored some goals in a game where we made lots of chances. And that, as James said, hadn't been happening a lot of the time this season. And then on the other side of the coin, I just felt, you know, there's, there's evidence in their performances that, you know, the the XG differentials in their game has been getting lower and lower. And in fact, in some games has been uh, not in their favour. Um, at some point, there had to be some variance that didn't go their way, whether it be a referee call, an injury, you know, even one of their players getting booked quite early and putting them under pressure it just doesn't happen. Uh, so I felt that if we could, if we could, could, could make a good start and put them under pressure, then you know, a is is there a little bit of you know mental and physical fatigue on their part because again, they've played a very settled team all season because they've had no injuries, they've had miraculously little to no COVID impacts, etc. So for all those reasons. I chose to be hopeful about about the game, but um, obviously conceding a goal again uh, early allowed them to play in in the way that they want to play. As mm-hmm. I said before, they're essentially a, a very solid defensive team, and they, 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 you know, being having a lead to defend absolutely suits them down to the ground. Um, you know, this comment about oh, they look like they're playing within themselves. I just think that's how they play. They have quite a relaxed way of playing. Actually, it's not high tempo. It's not high intensity particularly. They do press sometimes, but they choose their moments quite carefully. And and the early lead just allowed them to play their game, mm-hmm. which was to keep very compact. And and actually, they did make an adjustment. They made an adjustment because in the last two games against Celtic's Diamond. They've actually looked like they're under pressure a little bit, but again, all the variances have gone their way. Um, so they went to a, four, a pretty regimented four-four-two, um, pushed Kent right up alongside Morelos, and, and really tucked in in midfield and kept it really narrow. And they let you know Kennedy, Kenny and Laxalt have the ball. They let Welsh have the ball. They let Brown have the ball, and then they absolutely hounded anyone else who got near the ball. And that was pretty pretty effective when you have a one nil uh, lead to defend. But apart from that change to their approach, what was remarkable about this game was how few surprises there have been in terms of all the things we've spoken about this season. <laughs> it was just, in, in some yeah. senses, it was an utterly predictable match. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is, you know, our fullbacks were incredibly limited on on creating something. Although I will I will come back to Kenny because I think I saw he him getting an awful lot of criticism during the game. So having only watched it once to capture the data, not watched it in sort of full on throwing things at the TV mode. I don't particularly, I didn't really see that. I just thought he performed pretty much as he's performed in every game, which is pretty solid, not particularly spectacular, but actually he created two chances and he had the highest packing stats of anyone in the team. So to me, Kenny was pretty good. Uh, On the left, it was a disaster. Yeah. Laxalt offered nothing. Taylor offered nothing going forward. That's predictable. That was mm-hmm. in, in, in what we've seen all season. You know, Brett Brown was too slow in midfield to, to stop danger and was easily turned and easily ran past on a number of occasions. We've seen that all season. McGregor was distracted by supporting him and offered very little going forward. We've seen that this season. And, you know, Edward and Christie, just in all honesty, do look like they've pretty much, um, you know, down, down tools is, is, a, is a very sort of, um, not, not a very analytical term, but, it, you know, their performances are just not in keeping with what we've come to expect from them. So, and, and substitutions didn't particularly help or, or add to the performance. And in fact, there was no attempt to change the shape or, or, or adjust the, the, uh, the, the, um, the performance or the, the approach to counter this very compact 4-4-2 that, that they were able to settle into very early because, because again, you know, 
there's an absolute again what we, it was, this goal was the first goal was a rerun of many goals that we saw earlier in the season where yeah. you know Brown gets overrun in midfield um the, in this case it was Welsh rather than Duffy charges out to try and do something you know be seen to do something so he charges out that doesn't work um Laxal actually entered the frame in the picture just as Aribo took a shot and he was still not in front of the ball he's still not he was still mm. the wrong side of the ball and that was quite some seconds after the ball had been lost in transition in midfield. So the, so basically you you end up with Ayer and Kenny trying to hold it together in the middle and everyone else trying to recover. And then, of course, the shot, which could end up anywhere, ends up, you know, sitting up perfectly for Davis on the edge of the six-yard box. I mean, you know, we talk about variance. These are the sort of things, you know, that, that shot yeah. could literally gone anywhere. So yeah, none, of a... those thi- none of those things, all of those things, are exactly what we've seen all season long mm-hmm. and hadn't changed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot in that because that that basically sums up the entire match. But I suppose co- coming into this game, one of the things that we were talking about was the starting lineup. Maybe James Forrest, if he was fit, it would be a four-two-three-one. Maybe it would be the diamond if he's not. And then there was the conversation around Laxalt and Greg Taylor. What we ended up with with was the diamond with Laxalt at left back, Brown at the base, and Edward and El Yunusi up front, uh, like we saw them against Rangers in January. And I mean, as I said at the start of the show, you know that if you take a hammer to your head that you're going to crack it open. And Celtic know at this point in time that if you play Brown at the base of a diamond with Laxalt and the other fullback, be that John Joe Kenny or Jeremy Frimpong earlier on in the season, that Celtic are going to get absolutely overrun in midfield and struggle with the centre-backs having to fill positions that they shouldn't have to fill because the full-backs are too far up. And that's where the goal came from, number one. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, that that, that had been... We hadn't seen a goal conceded like that for quite some time since Kennedy did go for it, to be fair, because that hasn't happened. The full-backs have been more circumspect. There has been a conscious effort to keep more of a, a back-four shape, um, which is you know, just basic stuff, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't know why it never occurred mm-hmm. to anyone before. Um, so I was surprised. I mean, I, I, in all honesty, I would have picked Laxalt. I think his, because I think I've seen him, my, my perception of him under Kennedy is he's played a much more disciplined game. He's, he's, he's simplified his game. His distribution is much more straightforward. He's giving less of the ball away. He's not being, he's not getting, even getting forward as much, which may limit, maybe part of the reason why Celtic aren't, aren't, aren't creating as many, you know, scoring as many goals. But on the other hand, the, the, it removes some of that risk around the transition. So, I was okay with that because, as we saw in the second half, you know, frankly, Taylor struggles against any physicality and pace. He just, he just can't. He's, he's not that level of opponent. He just doesn't perform like he does against you know Ross County and Hamilton. That's mm-hmm. just and that isn't going to change because he's not physically going to get bigger and stronger uh, to yeah. add to what is a lot of good attributes about his game. Uh, but you can't make him that much quicker, and you can't make him that much stronger. No, James. Fullbacks were a big talking point at the end of the game, so I guess maybe we'll start our breakdown with that. Um, John Joe Kenny and Laxalt. I, now, Alan, you might disagree. I, I don't know. I think John Joe Kenny did not have a good game, but uh, Diego Laxalt certainly did not have a good game. I, I'm actually heartened to hear Alan's characterization of Kenny because uh, I, I rewatched the game as I, you know, when I'm a re- in real masochist mode, I rewatch it the the same day. At, at night um and the thing that uh really struck me relative to kenny 
and, and Alan obviously captured it in his data. I, you know, I don't record data when I'm watching. I just kind of take some notes sometimes and um, both written and mental. And Kenny really did play a number of um, line splitting passes to Christie. I mean, real good, you know, linking up with even Brown on a couple of occasions um, where, you know, got the ball forward, took out a lot of players and created either directly or indirectly, you know, kind of the next pass and the next pass, uh, very rapid transition. Um, and, and that was part of when we started to create chances in the second half, a, a lot of that occurred. Um, I think, you know, he took risks. So you saw that upside and th- this comes back to, you know, as I always say, confirmation bias, you know, it's kind of like what happened with ball and goalie. Um, once people have anchored their emotional view of a player, then they almost, you know, um, they feel the bad stuff more than they note the positive stuff. So I think because the rhetoric and the narrative around Kenny has gotten to be quite negative every time he gave the ball away. And, you know, this is kind of, we've talked about this with Christie as well. And again, I don't think Christie had much, you know, a great game either. So I'm not saying that in this game, but generally speaking, Christie's a more risk-taking player. If you've got a negative bias against him, you're going to feel every time he gives the ball away more than you are when he, you know, makes a good pass and creates a chance or one of his good crosses. So I think what happened with a Kenny performance was, you know, he did give the ball away quite a bit. Um, that's because he was taking risk with his passing. Um, so generally speaking, you know, I didn't think he was terrible. I think as Alan said, I'd agree. It was kind of a, you know, run of the mill Kenny performance, which again, I don't think is up to standard for Celtic, but it wasn't an absolute train wreck. Um, Laxalt's was more so. Uh, and I think, you know, the fact that the solution for this issue, um, was to, you know, the, the solution coming out of the first half was to sub Taylor, given what went on in the first half, you know, the, the issues with, I, I think the first goal was, uh, kind of an over anxious Laxalt who saw a breaking McGregor in the half space. And that was just bad fortune to a degree, meaning that he, he almost got parallel with McGregor and was very high up. It looked like, you know, a real break that was unfolding. And then McGregor just screwed up. And and this gets back to this issue of resilience in the system I talk about, right? So that started a cascade of a, fe- a chain link of events where then, you know, everything goes wrong and the risk factors that were there cascade in a nonlinear way. Meaning that Laxalt got aggressive, McGregor makes a mistake, Brown dives in, he's too slow, and then Welsh dives in, and then you throw on a little bit of bad luck with where the shot goes. And, you know, that that's kind of the the story of the season. Yeah. Sorry, and, James, I was, I was just going to just, just supplement that. I've, yeah. It's not really, not, it's not, not completely unscientific what I was going to add is my observation on watching all levels of football is if you do three things wrong in a row, right, you, you often concede a goal or a very good chance. Three things in a row. Look, look out for that. And that happened in this instance and the conceded a goal. Yeah, and it, it was um, to, to me the, the 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 issue that was obvious in the game again, and we saw it all through the Europa League, is just the level of athleticism and the the deficit that Celtic have, both in a size but just pace. I mean, Patterson, regardless of what you think of him, 
Um, you know, for him to be the age he is with the, the size that he is, you know, I, you know, this his height combined with the guy's clearly been working out. You know what I mean? Like he's lifting weights. You can see that he's got some definition and muscular uh, build and he's got pace and he's functional, at least uh, uh, from a technical perspective. I mean, he he was blowing by our players. Arebo was blowing by our players. Arebo, again, big, athletic, fast guy. Kent, not as big, but man, is he athletic and fast and quick. So if you go right down the line here, Kamara, same thing. So, you know, the the, the disparity in athleticism, I thought, and I've been saying this for a year and a half uh, relative to Rangers between height, build, and speed. I, I mean, it, it was just, uh, you know, if, if, if you're competently coached and you have a structured system and you have a technical advantage, like that can balance that out, obviously. But that's really what, you know, Rangers' advantage has been, even within Europe, is they, they field a very athletic team. They're probably not quite as technical as their opposition most of the time, but they're well structured to leverage that athleticism and, and in, a, in a very structured system. And th- that's hard. You know, when you when you have athletic people that are well trained and cognitively advanced, I mean, in a system that they are playing well, that is really hard to compete against. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, you know, when, when you create risks within that context. And that's, that's basically, you know, what we're talking about here back to, to what the the fullback problem was and, and in these transitions, that's why I always harp on Brown with transitions is, you know, that creates the risk that transition or where risks lie. And when you combine a deficit in athleticism with um, some of these other risks that occur, I mean, that was the that was the game, basically, is that every time they broke, it was like, you know, it's like back to Dundee in in September last uh, last year, early in the season. And what we talked about with Livingston, even where it was a six nil game. And, and I said, well, but yeah, did you see those transitions again where there's space and anyone, you know, any team of a decent level is going to carve that open. There's just mm-hmm. too much space being left. And that, that's where you see this sliding scale that every time I actually post about it on Twitter today, it, in the games where Brown's played against anyone in Europe, Hibbs, Aberdeen, uh, average XG conceded has been over one and a half. Yeah. And and, the, and I think there's only been one or two games where it's been below one. I mean, it's been reliably and consistently bad. And it's because we've been getting absolutely crushed in transition because we don't have the athleticism to stop the counterattacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was my biggest frustration with Kenny. Not that he was given the ball away or anything like that. I just saw three or four moments where Barisic was there for the taking, go past him, knock the ball past him, and get into that space. And he didn't, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And Greg yeah, Taylor no. couldn't do it either when he came on. And like you, you want to say that Laxalt has that athleticism, but again, his weaknesses aren't that. His weaknesses are elsewhere, and they were exposed too. Alan, what what was the data saying about Laxalt compared to John Joe Kenny? Yep. So again, you know, we were saying that Kenny, uh, uh, James is agreeing. I think had a pretty solid game. He defensively, they were similar in terms of their duels success. 
probably I would call it par best. I think you know, obviously with Laxalt, the issue has been, you know, he's just not there. <laughs> he's not in the picture when you expect him to be in the picture. You're asking, <laughs> it's, it's, it used to be where's Bolly, <laughs> now it's where. <laughs> Where's Diego? <laughs> Where's Wally? Honestly, where, where the hell are you? You should be you should be stood in that quadrant of my screen at this particular second, and you're not. Where are you? So there's that. Um, in terms of in terms of you know ball possession, kind of eighty four eighty ish percent passing each. They both had similar number of possessions won and lost. But where where I think the difference was was creatively. So. Um, Kenny had two key passes, which meant he, you know his passes directly led to shots twice. He had one successful cross. He also had one secondary assist, so he he, he provided the pass that enabled a, a pass to, to for a shot. Uh, Laxalt had zero across the board on all of those. Kenny had seven pack passes, so taking players out of the game and had the second highest pack rate in terms of you know who he took out of the game, how many players he took out. Laxalt had two. Um, Kenny uh, at least had one progressive run. Laxalt had none. So Kenny had the highest expected assist rate outside of the strikers and Turnbull. So, you know, that was pretty impressive. And he had the highest packing rate. He was the only one in, in triple figures, only one with a, a packing score over 100. Uh, the next best was Ayer, actually. Or, oh, sorry, it was Turnbull. I think Turn- Turnbull had a really good first half and then faded badly in the second. But So I think Kenny actually had, I would say, more than more than just a... A decent game. I think he was one of the better performers, uh, but the left back position was was uh, was very poor. Yeah. So the last couple of weeks we've been going easy on Celtic. We've been starting off with the positives as opposed to the negatives, but we're we are we're diving right into the negatives for this because I'm I'm almost I'm almost craving it. I was waiting. I was waiting to see. I was waiting until we recorded this to see how bad the players actually were. <laughs> so let's start with the duffer of the game as opposed to the the boy of the match. So. I, I will hold my opinion until I hold, uh, hear the data. So I don't know which one of you want to go first here. Go on, James. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. And um, I, I'm going to give my uh, duffer to McGregor. And it, it again, I, I like to use these at times to introduce a longer term uh, issue into the equation. So, um, I was on the, uh, the the pre-show chat for the twenty-minute Tim show uh, that they do before the before the game, and somebody had mentioned, um, you know, something about uh, you know McGregor is he ever going to get a rest? So I just happened to look it up on Y Scout. I was curious because you know again, the the club had bragged about how many minutes he had played one season and a couple years back, and I, I you know. I wasn't sure how many minutes and relative to peer group, what that would have looked like. So I, I happened to do a search in all senior competition. So this is going to include international duty uh, with Scotland, but he was uh, second out of 439,000 players in the database for this season in minutes played second, 439,000. So I didn't check it today relative to uh, including the game from yesterday with Aberdeen. So he's got over well over, you know, a good bit over 5,000 minutes. Who was first? uh, Harry Maguire, actually. I thought thought it might've been. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, even think about that, you know, you got a center back versus a midfielder and what's the wear and tear physically relative in those two positions. Um, So, I mean, this guy has been absolutely run into the ground. It's amazing, actually. It's a, it's a testament to him 
um, that he hasn't been injured more. I mean, it's just incredible fitness that he's displayed. Um, and we've talked about how much his performance levels have been harmed um, playing next to Brown in 4-2-3-1, improved a little bit in the diamond, um, but still, you know, just just not great. And uh, in a game against Rangers where he played 95 minutes, uh, and again, Allen might have a little bit different data, but he he was involved in just six duels. Um, just six. I mean, that that's 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 a rounding error level yeah. for a midfielder. It's yeah, it's like a a ghost level. <laughs> um, I have the same number. I suspect it's calculated differently. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just, yeah, just, that's one of these things. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so. Again, I, I think about these in, in context, uh, and they were all, uh, he was in zero defensive duels, as they would characterize it. Um, so he just wasn't all that involved. And um, either creatively defending, ball progression. So this goes back to system, coaching, you know, leveraging your best players and and. I was I joined the optimistic crew on our our pre-show our preview show on Friday, and then when I saw the selection of both teams Sunday, uh, I tweeted that you know basically my optimism had evaporated, <laughs> um, and that's because I could tell by the way Rangers had selected their team with Arebo and Arfield that they were probably doing something different relative to tactics. Uh, to con- to combat the diamond and and Alan I think did a good job uh, summarizing what that was and it basically rendered McGregor a ghost a combination of all of these factors and we we go back to uh, and I still firmly believe McGregor is one of our best players um, and he should be empowered the, the the you know our best players should be empowered to do what's what they're good at and. Um, that definitively did not occur. Uh, so, you know, I, I have a hard time criticizing McGregor because he gets, <laughs> he's like a mule that gets beat mm. uh, because he's got, he's played so much. Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. And now, during the Tempur-Pedic Summer of Sleep, all Tempur-Pedic mattresses are on sale, with savings up to $500 on adjustable sets. Get your best sleep. All night, every night. Learn more at Tempur-Pedic.com. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's Breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Um, so I, you know, I, but his performance level just wasn't there. And I don't think it's all his fault. I think a lot of it has to do with how he's been utilized um, and the fact that you know, like I said, he's just been running to the ground. Yeah, it's a it's a longer conversation for another day. But again, this this plays into my anger of the loan system at Celtic because 
I mean, there are games in Scotland. If there's a place, if there's a place in the world in Britain to develop young players, it's Scotland because there are player, there are teams where you can take risks and play these younger players. Luke O'Connell plays in Callum McGregor's position. You could arguably play Ewan Henderson there as well. There are a couple of players that, if you change the system around, you could give them opportunities and take ample opportunity to rest Cal McGregor and rest other players and give them a chance. That's that's an absolutely crazy stat. The uh, four hundred and whatever thousand. That's 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 mental to me, um, especially for a midfielder. Like his his injury um, table like, or his injury like list must be quite good. Like for for a player who's playing so many minutes compared to some players who you know. Can barely you can barely touch them, but their their hamstrings gone again. Alan, your duffer is a Cal McGregor too. So so I I can't disagree with any of that in terms of you know McGregor's performance. I, I just can't bring myself to call him out in any because you know he's frankly carried the team all season in my view. Uh, you know at a very high at a very consistent level of performance within the constraints of the role he has to play and what he's trying to do covering for the fact that the Brown, Brown can't get around the park as much. So, you know, I, I find I'd have a hard job singling him out in any game, but I, I can't disagree with that characterization of his performance. And, but instead, you know, actually the number, I'm just looking through here, the numbers for my duffer are, are, are almost identical across the board to McGregor's in that, very relatively few defensive actions and the same kind of success rate. Um, you know, slightly more recoveries, maybe. Um, slightly you know, same number of defensive third wins. Um, actually, a few more possessions. One to be fair, but zero zero assists, assisting passes, one secondary assist, two pack passes, uh, a couple of progressive runs couple of shots both outside the box contributed the least expected scoring contribution of any of the forward players in fact of any of the players outside of Ayer and Laxalt and that was Christie it just was it was it was the definition of, of invisible um and, and Chris whatever you whatever you say and I, and, I, and I honestly don't know what's happening around you know future and where his head is, where he wants to be, where does he want to be? Silly. I don't know. But Christie, whatever you say about him, his performances are usually characterised by, you know, a lot of effort. He tends to be the person that fills the most columns in my spreadsheet in terms of, you know, he manages to put a one in at least everything at some point or another, mm-hmm. good, bad or indifferent, because he's just doing so much. Uh, it doesn't always come off, because as James said, he's a risk taker. So, you know, not everything works for him. But this seemed like a, if you wanted to see the stats of a midfielder playing it really safe and not taking any risks and not really getting involved in the game, then that's what Christie's um, performance numbers look like, and that's completely yeah. a non a non Christie performance. Mm. Uh, so for me, for me, he was uh, definitely by uh, my duffer. Yeah, that's interesting. I I <laughs> I don't mean to get personal with any player because I actually I, I think Ryan Christie's seems like quite a good lad. In fairness to him, but um, if if his head is anywhere above the championship then he needs his head examined because I mean if he's leaving Celtic he's not going to a top Premier League club or even a mid-table Premier League club um, like he, he's just not he's, he's barely good enough for Celtic at this level let, let alone a, a mid to high level Premier League side in my opinion uh, positives let's go let's talk positives 
are there any positives from this game? <laughs> Who is the boy of the match, Alan? Um, so this is this is quite fun because I'm going to be able to poke a stick at James here from across the Atlantic. <laughs> so this 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 will. I'm not trying to be cussed here, but this is honestly. I looked at the data after the game as I always do, which is why you know me. You know, I, I, I don't really tend to contribute to these kind of immediate post-match reaction type things because I, I often find, in all honesty, when I look back through the game and then look at the numbers, that my form, my my, my opinion of who has been. The, the boy of the match has probably changed actually and it's, it's completely different to what I thought watching the game and vice versa and, and the same for who I thought hadn't performed well and this was very much the case here so this player had by miles the most successful challenges and interceptions at 13 which was seven more than any other player uh, this player uh, actually had five won the ball back five times in Celtic's defensive half which was three times more than any other Celtic player 13 recoveries was third in the team. Um, 10 possessions won overall was seven more than any other Celtic player. Um, still managed to provide two key passes, passes that, re- that resulted in shots. Had eight pack passes, which was higher than any other def- midfielder or attacker. So out of all the front six, had the highest number of pack passes. And, uh, you know, even though didn't have any shots on goal, <laughs> my boy of the match was actually Scott Brown. Um, so, for, and, and, none, and, 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 and I'm saying that it invalidates none of the opinions that James and I would share, which is that you shouldn't have been playing. None of that invalidates any of what, what of that of that opinion. But having played, and this is the, and this is why this is such a sensitive subject because this game was a perfect illustration of why it isn't a black and white debate about Brown in some senses. Or if you were if you're Lennon and you don't look at data. There's, pre- there's plenty of evidence you could pull out, and I, as I have just done, that shows that why Scott Brown was actually the most effective Celtic performer on the day, and I believe he was. But it still doesn't change the fact that, that Celtic were overrun at key moments in that game in Brown's position, and that that's where most of the threat came from. And, and that, that's not because Brown wasn't making an effort or wasn't, um, you know, you know, um, competent mentally it's just more it's more just physical degradation he couldn't he couldn't physically get there but you know he made up for it in all in all these other regards relative to to the other players in the team so for those reasons he was my boy in the match james i yeah i i don't i i've uh you know the the good bad ugly thing i do on on uh, the day after games i think i haven't tabulated this but i wouldn't be surprised if brown hasn't been my uh kind of quote unquote man of the match more than any other player this season for, for the exact reason that Alan referenced, meaning that, um, you know, so, someone working hard and um, put, putting forth a lot of effort uh, isn't always the best thing when it, when it means over aggressiveness. And, and again, that this comes back to one of the things that we, we talked about this season relative to just raw output and kind of counting stats for Brown and the idea that he kind of chased some of that. Right. And you can imagine this. I'm sure he's a prideful guy. You might be hearing people, you know, a-holes like me, like me, not me, but a-holes like me saying, quote unquote, your legs are gone, that kind of thing. Uh, And, you know, I, I would imagine a competitive person, an alpha male type might want to go out and prove those people wrong. 
Uh, and that may not be the most healthy thing because, um, you know, th those the exact reason why some of those accounting, those counting stats are so good creates the ill discipline, the positional issues, the, the problems with transition, the chasing a ball like he tried to do with the, the first goal. I mean, that that's exactly why his profile is is a bad one for someone who's aging. Um, you know, it, it, it's it, it, imagine Muhammad Ali not adopting rope dope and going up against George Foreman and getting absolutely murdered, <laughs> um, which is probably what would have happened if he tried to go toe to toe with George Foreman when they fought. Uh, so, you know, as you age, you have to adjust your game. Um, and you know, we've seen that across sports, Michael Jordan did it, you know, they've all done it. Kobe Bryant did it. LeBron James has done it. Uh, regardless of sport, Messi is altering his game. Ronaldo altered his game. So as you get older, you have to alter your game a little bit. And, and that's, you know, what we've talked about over and over again with Brown is he kind of did under, under, uh, under Rogers. And then we've kind of had a back to the future. So I, I, I don't dispute that. I don't argue with Alan on that at all. I think he relative to what, you know, his, he can control um, other than being more disciplined. Right. And again, he, he's probably just not going to do that. And so I'm not sure how it makes sense. He's going to Aberdeen either. I'm not sure Aberdeen should be, you know, investing in a 36 year old version of Brown who I can't imagine is going to all of a sudden get disciplined playing for his buddy. Um, you know, we've seen that, formula <laughs> this past season um so yeah i i, I think he, relative to what he can do i thought he was efficient mm -hmm. for, for the game um, i'll offer i'll offer my theory on why brown hasn't adjusted his game and the harsh reality is that i don't think he can at this point I, if you look at the midfielders who have adjusted their game take Andrea Pirlo for the prime example of of this type of midfielder obviously it was a little bit different to Brown in his normal days but Pirlo Xabi Alonso both of them have unbelievable passing range Brown doesn't have that so he can't he, he can't fall into the center defensive uh, midfield player that just sits in front of the defense sprays passes behind the defense and gets in tackles where he can he's just he's just not he's not that he's not good enough to do that and I think that's why and I do think he's going chasing he's chasing the career that he had two three years ago and it's just not fitting for this level of football you will get exposed yeah, and I, we've talked about this in prior weeks is I, I think that this likely has been an issue that had a marginal impact that is increased, meaning that this has probably been an issue for years, literally years when he played under Dyla, even all the way back to Lennon first tenure, when you play better teams, meaning that you get punished when you're out of position against better teams and, and that level of ill discipline and shape and chasing things. Um, and, and now a version of him where he's older significantly less quick i mean that that's how you get the group stage that we had in europa league this season is, is you have teams like sparta that absolutely carved us wide open like we were a dead fish through the midfield mm -hmm. um and that's because that's i mean it really is that fundamental in my opinion um 
And and we you know again we'll talk about it a little bit. We saw it again with Aberdeen last night. I mean, this is Aberdeen, like we saw with with Dundee earlier in the year. And we've you know we've seen it with St. Johnson and other level of teams where you know if they just had a little bit better quality players, I mean the opportunities are there. And and again, mm-hmm. Rangers Rangers took it until they got up two 0 and then they basically went into cruise control. This is why I talk about. I mean, Rangers probably could have kept doing it at a at a much higher rate had they been more aggressive in pushing the game. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the worrying part for me is that, and some people have said it to us in the comments that you know Rangers didn't get out of second gear, and I think that's that that is largely true. They like I I just think that Rangers are at the point now where they are better than us. Uh, if you take the starting 11s they're they're better than us in that in that sense and that the longer the game went on the the more likely it was that rangers would score like they did in the previous games and celtic would score they just just the way it was as we round this off then <laughs> i couldn't bring myself to watch the aberdeen game during the week um i don't know did, alan have you collected the data from this game have you looked at it no, but I didn't. Re- I said I didn't realize that the little app that I've got on my phone, that's like my football score app, actually has like a bunch of data, a bunch of stats in it. I didn't even know for Scottish league games. So uh, it was it was kind of similar um, in the you know. So I'm going to slightly disagree a little bit, and I offer a little bit of hope. I'm sorry to come back to the. I know you asked no, me about the Aberdeen Aberdeen game, but I just want to try and offer another narrative that I could I could easily frame around the data. Now. There's an interesting point here. I want to just touch on a sort of you know technical point about expected goals model because expected goals is now popping up in an increasing number of places. This was a very bad game to be um, evaluating. The rest of them talking about the Rangers game, very bad game to be evaluating um, single game expected goals models. And the reason I say that is when you look at Celtic's expected goals based on the model I use, which is a very simple one. Uh, it was like three point four seven. That's quite big. It's like Celtic's fifth biggest expected goals of the season. Now, that does reflect, to some extent, a lot of the chances that Celtic made because a number of, at least four, Celtic had at least four chances where the player and the ball were in the six-yard box. And the balls and the players in the six-yard box, it tends to elevate the percentage probability of success for that shot. But, the, but what, what a very sophisticated expected goals model would do would, would, would account for things like the height of the ball, was that you know the fact that when Edward had that volley, it was kind of slightly behind him. When, when, when El Yunusi had his initial shot, McGregor was right on top of him, and he was actually a little bit wider outside the the uh, the, the width of the goals. That that type of thing. So the actual chances themselves, I wouldn't have classified those as big chances, uh, but the expected goals value in my model would have been very high. So my my I think my my expected goals value of three point four seven is probably inflated, uh, and, and and again it's a good example. And that's why it's better you look over a much much wider range of games to get a far more accurate picture. But having said all that. You know, if you look at um, the other metrics across the game, the key key things, possession, Celtic 55 to 45. Expected goals, as I've said, 3.5 to 1. Shots, 16 to 9. On target shots, 6 to 4. Shots in the box, 11 to 4. Big chances, I had 2 to 0. Packing score, 364 to 293. Possession in the box, 24 to 11. Goalkeeping saves, 3, three for Bain. Six for McGregor, another six. That's 14 saves McGregor's made in, in three matches. Defensive errors, two to us, three to them. You look at all of those stats and you didn't know the score of the game, I would be guessing 2-0 Celtic. That, that's, that's what I would 
and, and I know that we've just talked all oh, that doesn't invalidate all the things we've just talked about. But, but when, I, when I was optimistic on Thursday, it was because of all these variances that seem to always go the Rangers' way this season, or, or variances that Celtic haven't been on the on the receiving end of this season. And hey, listen, nine in a row, we've had some really good runs. The, the invincible treble season, everything was on our side. All the long shots went in. All the positive variances were there. And this season, it's been the opposite. So you know, boohoo, poor Celtic, right? But. I, I just thought that maybe in this game it would change. But th- those numbers, because you've got to remember, in context, right, this is probably the worst version of Celtic that we're going to see. And now you might think, well, actually looking ahead, we don't have a manager. We can see a lot of these players leaving. The ones that are really good that we <laughs> that we, that we rate are may, may well be leaving as well. So it could get a lot worse, you say. But, uh, you know, in terms, of w- in terms of what we know, the knowns, right, this is probably the worst version of Celtic. There, there's only three players in that team that played on Sunday that I would want to see starting next season on the assumption that Edward's just going to go right so this isn't this isn't anywhere near what I, and I said I've said on this quite quite starkly on this on this podcast this is not a good Celtic side mm-hmm. and yet you look at those numbers and you look at the fact that McGregor's made 14 saves Celtic by by, by um, you know, post XG models we were up around over three, around three and a half for those three games um, compared I mean, compared to Rangers and and then and then and you look at them and I would say I would argue this is the best. This is the best version of of the Rangers that there has been, and maybe. And pay in social taxes. They bought Kimar Roof and Itin and others in the in the summer, you know. So they've made no provision for for some um, you know debts that are potentially coming there. Their way, they've gone absolutely all in on this, and this is the best version. They've got a superb coach and Beal, and they've got a, a, a they've got a very settled team. They've had no injuries. They get no bookings. They get no sending offs. They get no penalties against. It is the it is the it is the best of the circumstances, the best of the variants. So I say all that because you know I do still take positives that you know the worst of Celtic, the best of them, and if you look at the, the data around the last three games. You could easily have seen three Celtic wins, so I, I still I still choose to hope. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I, and I'll 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 be the cynical prick that I am. Um, to to me, what that validates is you know I I started talking about in October that we needed competency and courage, so we needed to, you know I I talked about putting Kennedy in charge as caretaker, and somebody's got to have the courage to drop Brown, and then if we did those two things that the league was salvageable and that we could revert back to a performance level that we had last season. And to me, what we've seen since Kennedy took over is half of that. We got the competency. Um, and that's, you know, if you look at the talent and the quality we have in attacking players, and this is even with Forrest basically gone for the season, um, with all the issues that we talk about, uh, we've been back to about last season's chance creation level under Kennedy on average, and that's with four of the six games against Rangers and Aberdeen. Okay, Our problem has not been in creating when we have coherent um, game plan and, a, and you know a decent level, a competent level of, of manager. Our problem has been in goal prevention and concession, and this is why I keep harping on the same issue. If, if we simply would have entered this season with Julian and Iyer and Bolongoli and Frimpong, and we would have invested in a European European level 
Number six, with everyone else the same, I, I you know, th- that is a team. It's the same reason I argued last season. That level of quality is a team that could go late into the Europa League. I mean, this version of Rangers went reasonably late two years in a row. Look at the teams that are in the final, that made the final eight or the final four in Europa League. Yeah, but again, um, again, again, positive variance. One one draw against a top five league side. I mean, sure, of, 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 of course. Of you're, course. Not, you're not, not going to get that year on year. I I take your point. I, I don't disagree with any of that. Uh, and, and you know that's uh, that, that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of gone now, I guess. And it's, we're trying to look forward, really. So you know, well, uh, you know, the, the Aberdeen game was 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 very similar. Uh, right. But but you know, we 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 scored a hundredth goal of the season. We still scored we scored still scored a hundred goals this season. But we conceded our 50, 55th or fifty sixth. When and to your point, you know, Celtic to concede 55, 56 goals. You know, you know. Mm-hmm. In, in, a, in, in, in a yeah. league where chance creation is down 20%. Yeah. So again, if you look at systemic factors, the lockdown, no fans, all of these issues that of course have had some impact on, on the game of football, the, the, the crowded fixture list, all of these things are systemic. And within that con, this way, if you, if you, you know, I've looked at the, the numbers I've shared them. If you adjust for that Celtic are basically up 60% on a relative basis in, in, in XG conceded. So in a league that's down 20% in chance creation, Celtic are up 40. I mean, that that's, and, and that, that the convexity of that problem is, is based off of quality of opponent. And as we've gone into decent level players, the problem goes parabolic. I mean, God help us. If we, I said this earlier, you know, a couple of months ago, if we would have gotten it somehow, we would have on a miracle basis made it into Champions League with that team. <laughs> you thought it was bad with under Rodgers. <laughs> uh, I mean, my God, how mm-hmm. you imagine this this iteration going up against a Bayern Munich or a PSG? I mean, oh my God, no. I don't. I don't want to imagine that. As I said before, that's um, what it can always be worse, Andy. It can always yeah, be worse. It can always be worse. I always look at the negatives. I think one thing about this season, though, is more importantly to me is that, in, in instead of looking at the goals we scored, sixteen wins since I can't remember what period uh, the twenty minute times tweeted out sixteen wins for Celtic. Celtic Football Club won sixteen games. In against Scottish opposition, that is just unbelievably unacceptable, in my opinion. It's just you, you've got you've got one team against you, and we've gotten beat by that team three times this season, and that's that's where I measure Celtic. That's where Celtic should measure itself, but that is the season over essentially. Um, now with that loss, a couple of games left to do it. We we will we will put ourselves through the misery of watching the rest of the games, will we? Is that? We might as well. Yeah, there's got to be at some point someone's got to start making decisions and 
so I, you know, because the, the 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 bug James has got his bug bears. Mine mine is that we it seems a surprise that we start European qualifiers when we do, and we're completely unprepared for them <laughs> every single season. And, I, and this this looks like it's going to be even worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh God, yeah. Somebody asked me on Twitter, would I can would I like a summer league because they play a summer league in Ireland as well, but with the European fixtures <laughs> we're badly enough prepared as they are the, the European fixtures going into the qualifiers that'd be the only positive that Celtic could take from uh, playing in summer leagues that they might actually be ready to do so with all their teams as, re- as we recorded this obviously Patrick Kamala has left the club so we might touch a little bit about him and his departure and what he brought to the side in his very little time <laughs> on, on the pitch. So uh, we, we might talk about that next week. We'll, uh, we'll return with some sort of podcast, be that a, a match review or uh, a special of some sort, uh, focusing on some players. I think we said we we're going to do a Ryan Christie one. So next week might be the week to do that. James, Alan, thank you. Thanks, guys. Talk to yeah, you next week. Care. Yeah. All right, Thanks, cheers guys. for listening. We are The Huddle Breakdown. You can find us on Twitter at Huddle Breakdown or on Spotify as well. You can get us everywhere you get your podcast every Thursday. We'll be back again, same time, same place. But until then, we'll chat to you later.
Printing, packing, faxing. The UPS Store can do any ing and every ing for small business. And of course, shipping. Wow, that's really some ing. The UPS Store. The UPS Store franchise locations are independently owned and operated. Services, pricing, and hours may vary. See center for details. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.